Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are in episode 58. It is January 3rd. We're starting off 2022. You got myself, Tyler, with my co-hosts, Pratik and Nick. How's how's the new year going for you guys? It's going We've well. got our new microphones back. It's going to be a great show. Let's get hyped. <laughs> it's going well. I'm excited for the new year and hopefully the new year has a better economy than this past year. Yes, let's hope. Uh, and just to kick it off, Pratik, you're going to be leading it, talking about Joe Manchin. Uh, the story is Joe Manchin, the one-man army, holds his whole his own party hostage. So Joe Manchin, um, as we know, he's not supporting Build Back Better. He's been going against the bill. He's like criticized the bill. And he went on air saying that he's not going to vote for it. And the problem is that the party in this in the Senate is so tight that if to one or two Democrats vote the vote differently, the whole Build Back better vote goes away so all the senate democrats along with president biden are all trying to get joe manchin back into the running to support build back better so they're trying to do whatever they can to make it happen we in the republican party we've had a lot of joe Manchins. we had mitt romney susan collins lisa Burkowski, jeff flake john mccain problem with those people is is that they don't really contribute to the party in all honesty they have their opinions they're saying what they feel and the argument behind it is that we need people that are their own personalities. They have their own like smart that they're bringing to the party and their more own mark that they're bringing to, you know, the country by representing their constituents in the way that they think is the best way. The problem with all that logic is that in the end of the day, all these people are voted because they either have a red or a blue next to their name. And based on their RRD, like whenever people go vote for them, obviously the primary process, they might have something different compared to their other opponents. But in the end of the day, a large majority of the people that vote for you, and regardless of whatever state or county or city or wherever you're running in any political office, they're voting for you because of your party affiliation. So with this whole logic, the question is, do y'all think that Joe Manchin um, should be allowed to have his own opinions and be allowed to protest against Build Back Better in his own way? Or should he be submit to the will of the party and support the plan because that's what the party wants him to do? Obviously, he should do his own thing. And I say that because his job, why he's there, is to represent the people in his home state of West Virginia. If people in his state do not want this plan, then he should vote against it. And that's what he cites over and over again. Now, you could point to conflict of interest to say, hey, Joe Manchin made a whole lot of money off of coal. And look, this plan is incentivizing clean energy, so he's got a personal stake in there. I think he has some sort of family member who's involved in the pharmaceutical industry where people say, hey, that's a conflict of interest as well. But if you put all that aside and just look at West Virginia itself, as we've discussed in previous episodes, West Virginia is a Republican state. If Joe Manchin was not in office... There's no way another Democrat would be in there. That would be a Republican vote. And the whole controversy around, oh my gosh, this one man is destroying our democracy. Well, guess what? If it was that popular of a mandate, there would be more Democrats in office. That would have happened last time around. But that's not what happened. And when it split 50-50, I'm sorry, but I don't get all of the criticisms of, oh my God, our country is in such big trouble. It's just... It shows, yeah, we're split down the middle, but I don't think, if you don't even have a majority, I don't think you should be able to ram through legislation if the other side wants nothing to do with it. Hmm. Yeah, I think we forget that the people are supposed to represent the areas that they came from. Sure, they 
play politics on a national level, but they're ultimately representing a small base. And if that small base wants to go one way, that guy should follow. If he wants to be reelected, which is his incentive, he has to follow the will of his own people. I, I don't think being a roadblock is necessarily a bad thing, and it's probably uh, necessary in our democracy, ultimately. However, I guess a counterpoint would be, if you really want to do the most and represent your people, then you need to get on the good side of your party because they're going to help you through with whatever legislation exactly. that you want down the road. And so it's it's definitely give or take. But let's be real. <laughs> He's a little bit on the, you know, some people, you know, they, they've got peaks. OK, they're climbing that mountain. They're doing very well. AOC rising star. You know, Bernie was doing pretty hot in, back in 2016. And then you have your valleys. You've got your Hillary Clintons. You've got people like that who are just at rock bottom in their careers. They're going nowhere, and times are not looking good. And honestly, with five more years, he's on the decline of his career. And hey, if he wants to, uh, you know, etch his book in the history books as not some pushover that Nancy Pelosi was allowed to bully around, then yeah, power to him. Stand up. Don't vote. If you are skeptical of like large institutions, large bureaucracies, you don't want your representative just falling in line. And I think that goes for Republicans and Democrats. You could be a more libertarian Democrat, although most are Republican nowadays. I don't think necessarily they all want to see everyone voting the same way because all these people have way different opinions, different thoughts that come from different areas and have different interests. So I think it's perfectly fine. But Pratik, I feel like you just dislike yes, the people that get in the way. They throw a wrench I in do. the system. You just want the machine to work. So why don't you explain why you like that? All right, so I completely disagree with both of you guys. Um, and my logic is is that, yeah, I agree in perspective that, yeah, in a two-party system, you need to have people that are having their opinions and yada, 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 and they're supposed to represent their constituents. The problem is that, yeah, with Manchin, for example, Manchin has a 61% approval rate in West Virginia. It's not like he's loved by everybody. And the only thing is that Manchin needed a party to run for to be able to win for his nomination. If he wanted to be Manchin and support the people of West Virginia, he could be like Bernie Sanders and run as an independent. Why didn't he do that? Because he doesn't have enough supporters to actually vote for him over a Republican that would do whatever the Republican Party wanted them to do if West Virginia is really that conservative. Now, my logic behind all this other stuff is that within that two-party system, too, like, you're worried about, like, you know, if this guy is not able to, like, get in line in supporting the party, then the Democratic Party are a bunch of losers, too, because they should have chose somebody that was actually going to be loyal to their party. And if Joe Manchin was actually that popular, he should have ran as an independent and beat down both the Republican and the Democrat from West Virginia. And I mean, like, if that's the logic behind it. So I just think that, I mean, the problem is that this guy's just acting as a barrier. And if I was a Democrat, I would hate Joe Manchin with a passion. He had zero value to the party. He doesn't have anything really going for him, really. And you know the Democrats are going to get rid of him as soon as the next, like, you know, primary cycle comes around for his re-election. And why wouldn't they? And as I said, the main problem with that, too, is like, yeah, sure, West Virginia is voting blue for because Joe Manchin is there, maybe. But the thing is that if Joe Manchin wasn't there and if there was a Democrat, we don't know if they would vote red or blue. But the problem with the system is, yeah, even Donald Trump will need to be a Republican in order to win the Republican nomination, even if he wins 30% of the vote. And when it comes to Joe Manchin, like, 
if Joe Manchin was that popular, he would run as an independent, and then he could stand for whatever he wanted to stand for. But because he needs the Democrats to be able to pay for his bills and get him in office and pay for all the financing and funding that they offer him, he has to run as a Democrat, because if he wasn't a Democrat, he wouldn't be in office. Yeah, but just because he's a Democrat doesn't mean he has to be 100% loyal to them all the time. Like, I don't think that means he needs to abide by them 100%. What, like, what a Democrat and Republican is over time changes. Being a Democrat used to mean you loved coal. You loved the, that the working class, pe- class people could make money from coal, and now they can't. And now it's a little iffy because he's voting on a bill that has to do with green energy. If you have to get elected a certain way, I don't think that means you're swearing allegiance. And I generally think people understand that. Like, they want their their representative to have their own voice. They don't want them to just be another echoer of what other people say. And what I would say is that if Joe Manchin had the balls to actually run as an independent and won, and that that would be absolutely fair. Run as an independent knowing you won't get elected. Like, I think exactly. you're a smarter than that. I, I think the problem is that even within the two-party system, which is never going to change, idealistically, we can have all of our opinions that we want. And if any of us were politicians, like, I know if I was a politician, I would be more like Joe Manchin, so then I'd be kicked out of the party. The problem is that in the end of the day, you are a pawn of the system. All of these people are really replaceable. You are just another candidate that the Democratic Party or the Republican Party is is pulling through from the RNC or DNC. So if you are going against whatever they want you to do, they will get rid of you. And it happens all the time. And my point is that if they're willing to do that, and if you're not standing up for whatever you, like, if you're not standing up for whatever the party wants to do, then yeah, like, whenever Joe Biden doesn't win for midterms, because Build Back Better didn't go through, and Biden has zero accomplishments to date apart from infrastructure, well, who do you blame? You blame Joe Manchin. And my point is that if I was a Democrat, and I lived in West Virginia, do you really think I'm going to be like, yeah, we need Joe Manchin back in office? Because in the end of the day, I'm a progressive, or I'm a Democrat, and if I'm a Democrat, I don't I don't care if it's Joe Manchin. I care about my own opinions, my own agendas, and my own ideas. And the only way that any of that stuff will ever go through is if the party there is actually willing to stand up for something. The Republicans don't stand up for Jack, but the Democrats do. But that assumes that the people like their ideologies align one to one with what, let's say, the national Democrats are. And I don't think that's the case, especially in a place like West Virginia. I have to imagine those Democrats are different than the New York Democrats or like the California Democrats. I mean, you're right. And it's the same as New York Republicans and Pennsylvania Republicans and any and Massachusetts Republicans. Like I remember when Chris Christie ran, he was seen as a little bit more bluer than many of the other Republican candidates when he ran for president anyway. And that's how most governors and representatives and senators are from northern states. The problem is, though, in the end of the day, when you have the only important thing that you're voting on, like the entire Biden agenda, since Biden's ran, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about Build Back Better. The agenda sounds like garbage anyway. He didn't have like something that like stuck or anything, but it's called Build Back Better. And... Whatever the Build Back Better encompasses is encompasses a variety of different things and half of this stuff doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Well, if that's the only thing that Biden has been standing and fighting for, well, if you don't support him, then all of those other people that are going to lose their seats, they're going to lose because of Joe Manchin. The president might not get reelected because of Joe Manchin. And in the end of the day, the people that are like supporting Joe Manchin are going to be like, why are we supporting Joe Manchin? We could have supported a Democrat. 
Democrat. And all the Republican constituents that Joe Manchin alludes to all the time as being the West Virginia constituents, they probably didn't vote for him anyway. They voted for a Republican candidate. This is my logic when it comes to people like Mitt Romney, when it comes to people like Jeff Flake, when it comes to people like Lisa Murkowski. A lot of those people are winning because of their tagline next to their name. But if they actually had something that they were willing to stand for, they would become independent and run like Bernie Sanders and probably win the senatorial race like eight, nine terms if they were that important in their state. So one thing I just wanted to add was, you know, let's be real. Ranked choice voting is not coming to federal elections anytime soon. If it was, what I'm about to say would be totally off base. However, assuming one person, one vote doesn't apply to anyone else if your candidate loses, we're, we're going to assume that it's going to stay constant. Assuming that, I could see a lot of people, especially younger people, going, hey, if the Democrats can't deliver on this stuff, then why should I vote for them in the future? And it's either going to be one, they stay home and don't vote because they're not going to vote Republican anyway. Or two, it's going to be they vote for people who are a little bit more to the left of those candidates during the primaries. And if those people make it out of the primaries, the Democrats are going to get slaughtered even more <laughs> across the board. And so, I don't know, look, West Virginia, again, um, you could look at the down ballot races and see which party is doing better there. But it's sort of like, all right, well, if there's an issue here with the Democratic Party, what's the alternative? People are definitely not going to be coming out at midterms to say, oh, my goodness, we needed just like two more Democrats in the Senate. Let's go do it. Let's make it happen. No, the Dems are going to lose ground. We all know this. The party in power, you're blamed for everything going on in the country. Doesn't matter if you did anything to cause it or what the situation is, you're going to shoulder that blame and you're going to lose in the midterms. It's just a question of how much. So the Dems for the next, well, four years, essentially, it's like either they do this now or they get kneecapped during the midterms and can't pass any big legislation like this again for the rest of the presidency. Yeah, I think Joe Biden's presidency will be a disaster because of Joe Manchin. I mean, it's already a disaster because their whole economic policy, like the problem with the Democrats, too, is with all the crap going on that we haven't talked about in all the previous episodes when it comes to economic policy. The fact is that they have that tagline next to them. Who do you think of when you think of raising taxes and increasing spending and like eliminating gas and increasing inflation spending. and spending more money on different programs and welfare to people sitting at home and like, you know, giving money to the people that are unfortunate and then, you know, providing more donations to less fortunate people and giving money to different remember programs. Remember when the Republicans passed a $2 trillion yeah. dollar package? And do you remember when the Democrats <laughs> talk about raising taxes every year republicans never raise taxes we just keep spending on stuff democrats raise taxes every year if, if it was up to biden's administration our capital corporate gains tax would be like 36 percent our capital gains tax would be 38 to 39 percent and then we'd have income taxes that are much more higher than they are and that's not because they do any of that stuff they talk about this stuff in their own primaries the problem is that democrats shot themselves in the foot this entire presidency because of their previous agendas when especially especially because what they said that they were going to do differently from when trump was in office and where they failed to deliver on a lot of things but then like the fact is that they have idiots like joe manchin there that don't support anything that they're doing anyway the fact is that biden and the democrats are going to lose in midterms as it is republicans haven't done anything to achieve it we're just opposed to everything that the democrats are doing that's a fact now the problem with the Biden administration is they have their their agendas are unclear. We don't know what their immigration agenda is 
We don't know where their trade agenda is. We have zero clue what his foreign policy is in almost half the countries that he's doing foreign policy with. He's not even doing foreign policy in Israel, so we don't even know what's going on over there, and that's our strongest ally we've had to date. Then we have zero clue what he's doing in terms of even the stuff that he talked about, this whole tax policy stuff. He was about, he was going to raise the capital gains tax, so then all the people are getting more money in taxes, so then their poor people are going to become stronger and the rich people are going to pay their fair share. Problem with all that logic right now is that the rich people that are like owning all these businesses, they can't even pay for their own bills. How are they going to pay their fair share? We don't know, but now they're paying all these people to sit at home that they're giving all this unemployment checks to. And now recently in North Carolina, we had this thing like on Sunday, we were like going through stuff because the state is doing things where they're trying to confirm that all these people that have been sitting at home for the past two years will actually work for us. They didn't even check any of that. This is the DOL and this is the state departments of a lot of these places. They don't connect. They don't communicate with each other. They have zero clue what's actually going on in their places. And then if it's, I mean, our North Carolina is technically a blue state under a Democrat governor. So we have that situation and North Carolina is more red compared to other states. So I wonder how it is in a lot of these other places because if I was a business owner, I feel like I'd be screwed. But that's because of the Biden agenda. So that my problem is that with the Biden administration, if that's what they talk about, and right now he's trying to tackle inflation, I have no idea how he's gonna do that because he's the reason why all this inflation stuff's through the roof anyway. Okay, his party please, anyway. There's so much, the, the inflation's yeah. not all, all on Biden. Give me no, a break. No, no, but even though it's not on Biden, it's the fact that this is what their party advocates for. If you go ask some progressive 19 year old probably going to college how much of the rich pay, they would be like, they need to pay 80% of the income tax. I remember there was like, I remember having a conversation with someone that was a full on whack job liberal whenever I was in college. And they were like, oh man, the rich people should be paying 50, 60, 70% in income taxes. The, the bar should be much higher. And like, you know, all these people should be paying more taxes because otherwise we can't finance all the stuff that we want to do in terms of our agendas. And we need to make sure that America is helping out the people to reduce the amount of inequality and wealth issues, wealth disparities in our country. It's like, that's their logic. All they talk about is raising taxes. All they talk about is spending money on all these random programs. And then they're the ones that are always advocating for welfare. Like, regardless, like, with the problem with the Republicans is they just don't do a lot of stuff. I mean, that's a fact. But the irony is that the Democrats are always advocating for spending more money on all these other random programs. So if none, if all these programs, like we don't, Build Back Better is a variety of different things to make $2 trillion. When Trump was president, the fact with the $2 trillion bill was, at the time we actually needed something because there was a pandemic going on. Right now, these are just aftermaths of the pandemic because the Democrats have been in power. I predict I actually fundamentally disagree. I think the Republicans will they're willing to spend as much money as Democrats. They're just not willing to fund the money through tax like Democrats are. And they exactly. believe in, although trickle down economics is not what they would call it. That's what their fundamental belief is. And I understand. Yeah. that. And I'm and starting to I'm think you that. might be a Republican critique. But <laughs> overall, I think you got to understand that both parties are spending tremendous amounts of money. Like, yeah, their willingness to want to spend money, their willingness to want to make the government bigger are about the same, at least in my eyes. They just want to spend money on different things, which is perfectly fine. But I think we veered away from the conversation a bit because we were talking about Manchin. And I just have to say, if your Democratic Party has to rely on this guy from like West Virginia to get something passed, maybe you've done something wrong to lead to this. Like, maybe you should have had more seats. You know, I'm like, it's just a little bit silly to me. 
Yeah, I mean, and my only argument too is like it's all pinned back to Joe Manchin is they have all this stuff going on, which is the whole problem with the party as it is. But now, in the order to pass the only thing that Biden can actually physically accomplish in his time as president, at least in the next two years, because after he's not in office, he's not he's like after midterms when Democrats don't have power anymore. Well, he's not going to accomplish anything anyway. So like he has to plan accomplishes one agenda and it's not going to happen because of this one guy. And if I was a Democrat, I would hate that one guy. Because if I was a Republican and Joe Manchin was in my party, I would hate Joe Manchin because he adds zero value to my party. If anything, he's the reason why my party sucks and we're going to lose an office and all all the ideas and dreams that I had whenever I went to go vote for the party are not going to happen because it's one idiot that's in office. But you're speaking on a national level, so. You know what's crazy to me is that 8% of our federal budget gets paid just towards paying down interest payments on debt that we've taken out and owe, right? Trump increased the amount of debt that we were taking on after he said and campaigned that he would get it down. So again, Pratik, I'm with Tyler on this. I don't think it's just the Democrats. I think both parties are perfectly fine with spending as much money as they want. And it's not just in response to COVID. Look at his numbers from 2018 or but 2019. Even then, though, Nick, you can't argue about Biden, about Trump for four years because he had four years. Biden has only had one year. Think about how much impact Biden's one year has had on the economy as a whole and all the issues. I really that think we've there had. has been like none. Really? I really don't think there's. Well, the been economy much. takes a while for things to kick in, so I'm not sure I mean, that look, he's had the, the biggest fact- effect as of yet. The fact is, though, in the end of the day, I mean, even if we might disagree on whether he's had much of an impact or not, because we can go into a whole debate about that, too. But the main issue is that, as I said, it's the it's the law, it's the party platform, the party platform when it comes to their economic liberal policies. That's the issue that they're facing, because if that they, they didn't have that tagline behind them, like, who do you think of when you think of like rising inflation, when you think of higher pay, higher spending and when you can't find people because you're paying people too much money and we're giving a bunch of money in welfare? You only think of Democrats. Republicans don't even raise taxes. That's the whole issue with the Republicans. But the fact is that. I mean, Democrats are always constantly talking about this stuff, even if it's not the moderate Democrats, even if it's the progressives. They're the most vocal people, and their voice is what impacts how people think about Democrats, especially especially people that are actually in the middle of the vote. Like, Republicans are going to vote Republican, and Democrats are going to vote Democrat. I'm talking about the people that are in the center that are confused how to vote. And those people voted for Biden because of covid and they think that they thought that he would do a better job at fixing stuff. And I mean, that part has been about the same. Like, we can't say Biden has been any better than Trump or Trump's been any better than Biden on COVID response. But I feel like that's the issue. And as I said, my issue is just that Joe Manchin is that one guy that's going to prevent Build Back Better. And if this was the same thing, if, if John McCain prevented um, the whole healthcare thing whenever Trump was in office, which prevented him from winning in midterms, like, this is his thing. This is the whole plan that, like, Biden has been talking about since, like, 2019, before the pandemic even started. So I feel like you have to blame the one guy, or you blame the party, or you blame both. I guess the, the final thing I would say on this was just my principal point which is if you look at Trump, the way I see it from the Republican side should be if we're serious about the debt, if we really, really care about this stuff, 
then what do you do? You either keep taxes constant or you actually increase them. And as far as spending, you reduce the amount of government services. You say, oh, look, I think fundamentally government services are inefficient. We should privatize this stuff. We're going to reduce federal spending. Okay, you can reduce federal spending. That's what Trump ended up doing. Actually, no, that's not what he did. He increased federal spending (laughs) and then took on more debt to pay it off. There was a budget shortfall every time he was in office. And it's like, you're going to point to this as some victory of that party? Uh, Again, I I think it's both parties. And if anything, I think under the Republicans, they don't even have the rhetoric to match it. At least the Democrats say, look, we're spending this money because we believe in the welfare state or whatever. You can take issue with that, but at least they believe in something. The Republicans say, oh, look, we're just going to spend all this money because we don't know. We don't have a clue of what to do. So I agree with Nick. And in my world, I'm like, you spend less money and you can cut taxes. And I know Nick's going to disagree with me there, but I would just say you would generate enough revenue to cover the taxes and with the, you, you would have less to pay out because you, you're not going to have as many government programs. So to me, that makes sense. But that's not re- what the Republican uh, Party stands for at this point. I would say that's more of like a libertarian point of view that's not very common or popular nowadays. And we're certainly not headed in that direction. Uh, but any final comments before we move on to our next subject? I know we've tapped into this I think we should just move on. Okay. if we had to do this, yeah. it would be the whole episode. <laughs> So next yeah. thing, Nunez. Yeah, Tell yeah. us about we, Devin we got, Nunez. We got Rep. Devin Nunez uh, from California, who's actually resigning to become the CEO of President Trump's media and technology group company, which is a rising they're, – they're calling it a big tech company. You haven't released anything. I'm not sure I'm going to call you a big tech company yet, but they're, they basically want to uh, advocate for free speech in the tech space. And I think this basically signals how Trump still has a stronghold on the Republican Party, the fact that you have a representative. He's been there for almost 20 years years willing to resign to become the CEO of one of Trump's parties. We know Devin Nunez had some uh, uh, interesting investigations going on these past several years. I'll let Pratik dive into that more. But what are you guys overall thoughts on this? Do you think this signals Trump's strength still in politics? Do you think this signals that we may have the resurgence of a big social media platform that's going to rival the Twitters, Facebooks, etc.? What are your thoughts? For Nunez, Look, the guy's a lapdog. Like, this guy is such a brain-dead moron when it comes to just supporting the party leader. As far like, if you're worried about authoritarianism and putting too much faith and belief into one person to rule over the entire country, Nunez is your person of choice. Because you know that no matter what Trump does, Nunez is like, oh my God, how can I, how can I personally do better? Look, I got to suck up to Trump. I got to live up to this man. And look, maybe on some maybe on some level he wholeheartedly believes in the cause, believes in Trump's message. That's fair. But how has he acted? He's a total lapdog and he's resigning from his post representing the people of California as a Republican, which there aren't many Republicans in California. If he was serious about making <laughs> some sort of impact in the country, I think he should stick around and wait out the rest of his term. And look, if he decides at the end of it, "Hey, okay, I've represented the people of my district." I want to go over to Trump's new media company. That's fine. But I'm sure there was some sort of ultimatum like, hey, man, if you don't leave this job soon, we're going to pick another CEO. He's like, all right, I'm leaving the hill. I'm out of here. What we do is useless anyway. Get me on Twitter. Get me on Getter. Uh, You know, let's do it. Before Pratik jumps in, I just have one more comment from the article. It says uh, California's redistricting uh, process may have played a role in his decision to leave the House as an initially proposed map had him shifting from a fairly safe Republican-leaning district to one where Democrats have the advantage. So that could have played a part into this. But I think you're right. He's pretty sycophantic. I could see him following Trump no matter what he does. Pratik, what are your thoughts? Would you rather have someone 
that is not supporting the party that is supposed to be read that isn't supporting the president doesn't support his agendas and is advocating against his policies like joe manchin is doing right now or would you rather have devin nunez who you as a republican voted for because you were voting for the presidential election and you saw donald trump was in office and he's like he's a red so then you're like devin nunez he's my rep he's a red so then you support him that way would you rather have that who basically he's basically lived up to everything that he was supposed to do because all you are is really a pawn in the system if some if he doesn't work out the republicans are gonna move some other republican stooge in to replace devin nunez but do people want to vote for pawns Pratik, i could use this, argu I could use this argument for kim jong-un in north korea if you don't support the if you don't support the party what are you even you doing may you have people they may support him because he's devin nunez that's a very simplistic way of looking at it i don't think people are so simple as oh he's a republican therefore xyz they could have voted for other republicans in his place like he wasn't the only republican they could have voted so devin nunez served his purpose he supported the party he got voted because he was part of the party he might have won a primary seat because there's probably some primary contestant stuff that goes on in um, San Joaquin Valley. But, and he's been there for 19 years, by the way, too, okay? He wasn't just like, Trump came, so he became there. He was there for 19 years. He was there whenever Bush was around. He was there when Obama was around. He was there when uh, um, Biden is around. And he was there when Trump was around. I think that in this situation, though, like, you're comparing that this guy compared to somebody like Joe Manchin. At least this guy lived up to what he was supposed to be. And these people talk about redistricting all the time, man. Like, oh, North Carolina, we redistrict all the time. We want to get rid of reds in power. Still, we got blue Democrat governor for the last eight years. But we're a really racist, discriminatory redistricting system because we try to make sure that Republicans stay on office. But at the same time, you have California, they redistrict, half of their Southern California stuff is split, there's more red places that are closer to the border. Still, in the end of the day, they always vote blue. Why? Because of their redistricting process. Now, when you come to people like Devin Nunez, like, this guy just served his purpose and he knows he's gonna get kicked out of office, so what is he doing that's wrong? Nothing. And, in the end of the day, I don't know anything about this Trump new platform, but what we can, like, move towards is the fact that Twitter has been banning all these other people that are conservatives. Before we get there, Pratik, I want to say one more thing. I think you've convinced me that, okay, it makes sense for him to bow out now because if he's going to lose anyway, hey, just go out on your own terms, whatever. I don't agree with it, but sure thing. But as far as being appointed CEO for a new media and technology company, what does this guy know? What value does he bring? The only thing he's famous for was getting into a legal fight with some, some random dude made a Twitter account pretending to be Representative Nunez's cow and made a bunch of funny tweets about the guy pretending to be his cow. And he's like, I'm taking this fake cow to court. And he lost. So what does this guy really know? He he studied agriculture. He got his master's in agriculture to become a farmer. I, that dude doesn't have any like leak to this stuff. What I'm saying, no comp sci degree. I was do just criticizing only. the fact that Nick called him a lapdog. And my point is, I'd rather have lapdogs and a bunch of Benedict Arnolds that serve no purpose for the party, and they're like going against their own voter base. Like, mm. better off having a Devin Nunez that at least supports Trump. And he didn't support him all the time. He voted for him 94% of the time. I mean, like, you go by statistics, I mean, hey, 94% is not 100%. Let's be real here. Trump is just all about loyalty. 
So whether he's a good guy or bad guy, the fact Very that this true. guy followed his every step means he was going to be rewarded. And, and maybe, that's what's happening. Maybe that, that's my logic. I would rather have people that are loyal to the party than have all these people that, yeah, sure, they may have their opinions, but in the end of the day, half the people that are voting for these people are not voting for them because of their the opinion. End of the they're day, voting for them because they're a part their of the party. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, now so, I'll, I'll move on. Yeah. On to the other oddball is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Pratik put the title as the famous MTG as the story, but I'd rather say the infamous because you never hear about her <laughs> yeah. in a positive light. She never yeah. does anything good. It's always something bad. Yeah. It's always bothering someone. In any case, um, so she gets added to a list of conservatives banned on Twitter. Tyler Pratik, how do you feel about this? And just to be clear, it, even though it's not her um, you know, official congressional account, that has her office and has, you know, her talking to people online. It's her personal account that she tweeted from a lot of the time. How do you guys feel about that? Regardless of which one it is, actually, whether it was the personal or the professional one, just sort of silencing someone who's actually actively in office and representing. I did want to add something before Tyler comes in, just to add more background to the story. So um, in in February 2021, uh, Green was removed from all of her committees by the Democratic-led Congress um, after a series of past posts advocating for the execution of Democratic members in Congress and embracing elements of the QAnon conspiracy, which were unearthed online. And basically, she's not in any committees right now. Like, she's just a representative that's just kind of there. So, like, obviously, I'm reading this from CNN, too. CNN is very liberal. They're the, they're the liberal news, like, station. And they've been talking about how, like, you know, we don't know what she's doing. The whole storyline says something about Trump. And then it's like, this is the, all these news people have to say something about Trump all the time. He's still president, according to CNN. Well, they talk about Trump a little bit. And then they're like, okay, well, this is Mar- MTG. She said a bunch of stuff. And now she's not on Twitter. And my only logic with all this stuff is just that why, is, why are only conservatives getting I mean, if you're going to ban people because they're spreading false rumors and false lies, you should be banning a lot of different people. Like, I'm pretty sure that the person that's the Taliban president right now in Afghanistan, he has a Twitter account. The Shah of, not Shah of Iran, um, what is it? The Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran, or Ayatollah, I forgot his last name. I think it's Khomeini. He has a, he has an account. Why do all these people have accounts? But what, what, like, Terrell Owens, like, or not Terrell Owens, Candace Owens doesn't have an account? MTG, like, she's a rep. In the end of the day, the people that were there, regardless of whatever place she's from, the same people that y'all would argue that, oh, like, you know, they voted for Devin Nunez, the lapdog in California. Well, these people from Georgia voted for uh, MTG for X amount of various reasons. Well, shouldn't she be allowed to have a Twitter account? No, because Twitter hates Republicans. That's why Trump's coming up with his own platform because all these Republicans keep getting discriminated against. But who cares about when Republicans get discriminated against? Because we're all racist, homophobic, idiot bigots anyway. So, like, you know, we are value doesn't matter. We should just be a part of the democratic machine fighting for the progressive movements. I was just going to say, I originally didn't know that it was just her personal account that was banned and that she still has a representative account. I wonder if, if it, there would have been a different response if it were her representative account that got banned. Because I feel like Twitter's 
putting their tone to something that they don't want to deal with legally. They don't want to say we're silencing certain representatives, but at the, at the same hand, they want to be able to ban whoever they want to ban. And there is certainly a conservative tilt to this. You may say, oh, I've seen this lefty banned, or I've seen that guy banned. Oftentimes, if you're liberal-oriented, you're getting banned for like conspiracy-esque stuff. And even COVID, they'll call it COVID misinformation. But if you talk about COVID in any light that's not like the mainstream point of view, they will ban you for that. And that's why you see the rhymes, uh, rise of these platforms like Getter, which is essentially a Twitter that just doesn't ban you for doing anything. It's the exact same thing. It's basically a copy and paste. If you go on it, you're basically seeing Twitter, except there's red instead of light blue is their color. So you're seeing the rise of these platforms. You're seeing the rise of Trump's platform. I think there's going to be some kind of mi migration of these platforms. But overall, the reason Twitter does something like this is for public perception and for advertisers. They don't want to be seen as spreading misinformation. They don't want to be seen as influencing campaigns, which gets a little murky here because it is a representative they're banning. But since they had done it with Trump before, I feel like it's over Open, open seas now. They could ban whoever they want, regardless of status. Because if you could ban the president of the United States, anyone else is up for banning. And I think Pratik makes a great point. It's like, we're allowing all these other random people like the Iranian guy to be on Twitter. And we'll argue, oh, it's great for intelligence. We want to know what they're doing. Uh, so we're just going to let these people talk, but not people in the United States who are just using their freedom of speech, the rights to say what they want to say. It seems a little ridiculous to me. Even if you think it's misinformation, maybe you slow their traffic somehow so it's not brought up in search a lot. But if I want to see specifically what this person's saying, I should be able to look them up and see their account regardless. And see, th this is my thing is like, the, like, if you're able to ban the president, as Tyler said, the issue comes in is like, you're banning all these random people. But why are you banning them? And that's the issue. It's like, well, MTG, I get it. Like, yeah, she might have said some stuff. MTG is kind of wacko a little bit. But, like, they ban everyone, dude. If any Republican comes out and says anything, they're like, they ban some Jim Hoff guy. Like, who is Jim Hoff? I don't know. But they, like, Twitter bans conservatives Jim Hoff and Wayne Allen Root in 2021. Then they ban, um, what is her name? What's his name? Alex Bernensen. Then they ban some Naomi person. Then they ban, like, Candace Owens. Like, these are all just random political people. Like, and these are authors that no one cares about. But they're getting banned for COVID-19 misinformation. My problem is that whenever there are people that literally use Twitter to, like, advocate for, like, actual activities, like, terroristic activities or, you know, anti-Semitic statements or, like, you know, things like that. Or why is that not an issue? They mean, like, the Ayatollah guy, the dude talks about burning American flags. Like, that's not an issue, but you banning this guy, oh, man. And the but issue... Pratik, yeah. let me ask you, would you be against these bannings if they also banned those guys? Because in my eyes, I think they both shouldn't be banned. And this is, goes into, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone should, should be banned. Should, should these social media platforms be a public square, like a public utility? You get the same rights you get online as you do offline. Because that, that, that would be kind of contrary to the conservative argument. So what do you think? I think that... I, I don't think anyone should be banned. I mean, yeah, it gets kind of murky, too. Like, there are certain people that advocate for terroristic activities and stuff that shouldn't should be banned. Shouldn't they go to jail before they but, get banned? Like, yes. I, I guess, shouldn't the, shouldn't the law be covering what's happening to these people and not these companies dictating, I'm banning yeah. them, saying X, Y, Z? Yeah, and, I mean, obviously with Donald Trump, too, he's the one that made Twitter that important recently. Like, half the people went on Twitter to see what the real Donald Trump was tweeting. But I think, my I would agree, I agree that no one should be banned. 
My argument, though, is that if you are banning people, you should be banning certain people that are advocating for terroristic activities and actually promoting harm towards other people. And the irony with all that stuff is that none of those people are banned. There's not terrorists that are banned on Twitter. There's not like, you know, there's not people that are actually committing violence banned on Twitter. The hell the Taliban president isn't banned on Twitter. The dude was like, it, the Taliban is technically considered an actual terroristic state by the United States. That dude's not banned on Twitter. But hey, man, Donald Trump, dude, he should be banned on Twitter. The guy I, I that really literally think it has made to do with advertisers, important. dude. Like, in America, certain advertisers don't want to be on your platform if they hear some guy said something in the news and they said it on Twitter. And yeah. if I'm Twitter and I'm going for my shareholders' interest, I got to go, all right, we need to maximize advertisers, minimize controversy. How do we do that? eliminate the controversial figures from our platform in iran they probably have different advertisers with different thought processes and it's maybe not affecting people's purchasing decisions as much so it's not as big of an influence for instance if you advertise on facebook in the u.s it costs you 20 times more than it does in somewhere like iran so it's just a way bigger market way more money to be had and they're very influenced by these advertisers which in my point of view is why these platforms should be labeled as public squares because their incentive right now is to minimize controversy no matter what. And that's innately going to decrease freedom of speech, especially in a liberal-minded thing like big tech companies. And what I would say, though, is this: think about how many followers that Twitter probably lost because they banned Donald Trump. In the end of the day, a majority of the people that were looking at Twitter, like Donald Trump came in, Twitter's like, like you know, stock, not stock value. I think their stock value is kind of limited, but they like their important rose to the roof because every day you'd hear about what Donald Trump was tweeting on Twitter and like and just imagine that Donald Trump is seen as the leader of the Republican Party now that comes with a lot of things that's like if you banned like AOC or if you banned Joe Biden or you banned some people like that like there's a lot of Democrats that believe like these people are actually really really important maybe they're a little bit more like left-leaning like to the core same as a lot of people that like you know blindly believe everything Donald Trump says to the right but that's still a large amount of followers now if you ban all those people the fact fact is that i mean if all those people quit listen like looking at your stuff what benefit does it add to you donald trump is the reason why twitter is even important really like without donald trump like who's even talking about twitter on news like the only people that the only time we ever talked Here, about here's twitter the thing was during twitter donald trump. may have been i think trump helped popularize twitter yeah. but it, he didn't kill the platform when he left like i still see it being used all well here's here's my evidence would be i constantly see news articles or let's say like CNN's, ABC's, they're using tweets as news stories. So to me, that tells me it's still in the cultural zeitgeist and people are still using, following it. And it's still a platform that is dominant in the social media space. So I agree with you. He might have helped build it up, but I don't think he killed Twitter when he left. And that's why I think they're moving to these other platforms. They're like, we need to take out Twitter. How are we going to do it? Maybe something like Getter. Uh, Nick? Yeah, I... I don't know what the uh, stats are for 2021, but Twitter has been growing year over year consistently. So it's not like people all of a sudden fled the platform when Trump ended up losing the election. So people um, like to complain about know. Twitter we'll, on Twitter. We'll Think about that. <laughs> like uh, that's very true. But they still use it. Of, speaking of banning, um, 
Nick, Tyler, do you want to tell us about the pro-Beijing Patriots winning the Hong Kong election with the lowest record voter turnout? So pro-Beijing candidates swept to victory in an overhauled Patriots-only legislative election, that's in quotation marks, in Hong Kong that critics described as undemocratic, with the turnout hitting a record low amid a crackdown in the city's freedoms by China. So the turnout for this election uh, was the lowest they had seen in a very, very long time. It was only 30% about half of what it was in 2016. And the second lowest was in, I believe, 1997 or somewhere around there. No, sorry, 2000, when it switched over from British to Chinese control, Hong Kong, uh, they got a 43% turnout. So it was still 13% lower than when they had switched to Chinese rule uh, uh, initially. And uh, what Carrie Lam who is the, uh, one of the chairwomen in Hong Kong, she said, uh, but 1.35 million coming out to vote. It cannot be said, though, that it was not an election that got a lot of support from its citizens. So she's doing everything she can to get the pro-Beijing stance. Um, everyone in this election was pro-Beijing, which is why the turnout was so low. People are upset that they've lost their democratic rights, and people are just like, I'm not going to vote. It, may- it makes no difference to us. Well, you have the Chinese government coming out and saying, look, some people just need time to adapt to the system they're not used to it yet but they'll like it over time as we implement our systems Uh, so what are you guys thoughts on this obviously this just showing that they had a massive crackdown of democratic rights and people are just angry and pissed off and just don't want to vote because of it so what are your thoughts the fact that there is any sort of appeal to western liberal democracy in hong kong i think is was a slap in the face to the communist party in beijing and so what are they like what scenario would this not happen in? I think no matter what ended up going down, Beijing was going to bring Hong closer, closer in to say, hey, you no longer have your special status that you've had over the years. We're going to bring you more into the fold. Get in line, shut up, sit down. Yeah. Yeah, they consumed Hong Kong. And I think that people should have the right to, I mean, at least determine who their people are that they're voting for. I think the fact that you have a party system where, you know, you're just... The party just shuffling in whoever they want and you have to vote for whoever you think that the party wants you to vote for and if you don't then they've like you know expel you basically and like you know in parentheses i think that you know it's kind of sad that you know this is the kind of situation that's going on in that country and the fact is that a lot of the people that are there that are probably voters in their country i don't know voting age in hong kong but they probably remember the time when the british used to control hong kong before it was handed over to china so i think that is one of those that it's almost like china is just trying to control every part of hong kong culture and just control that country uh, control that part of their country to their core it's just so funny what made hong kong like a financial power in the world is what's being taken away now by china and honestly it's probably in their best interest it would always be an issue to have some small part of china be democratic just look at taiwan they can't handle taiwan at all and hong kong's within chinese borders so how do you think they feel about well, that? well taiwan's a different so I, country though too though well but not according to them well that's what yeah. tyler was saying it's within yeah. the borders they yeah. call it what do they call it chinese taipei like they don't call it taiwan it's still part of China on their maps. I think imagine imagine like Hawaii was we called it part of the US and every other country in the world was like no, that's not part of the US. <laughs> They're their own country. That's how they feel about it, I'm sure. Yeah. I think that's how pe- some people feel in Hawaii, but <laughs> in any case, um speaking of how people are feeling 
Pratik, what's going on internationally with COVID restrictions? Some sort of violence flare? Yeah, what's so the deal? Washington posted a story where it says one in three Americans say violence against government can be justified, citing fears of, fears of political schism and pandemic. So this is not just America. This is everywhere. So COVID restrictions are increasingly making people violent all across the globe, not only in America, due to lockdowns imposed resulting from Omicron. And people are getting fed up because of the overly protective regulations and lockdowns that are being placed on them. And this isn't just in America. We haven't really seen many protests or riots and stuff. Like this article, this Washington Post article, going back to that theory about, you know, the, all these news agencies that are all liberal are always talking about Trump all the time. This thing's talking all about Trump and about how Republicans are the ones, like, you know, promoting all these protests. It's like, no, we only, they only had one protest. There's a lot of protests going on all across Europe. So you, Germany has their restrictions that are being pinned on them. So like uh, there was like a huge, a huge riot that happened in East Germany. Then Amsterdam had a huge riot where they had to use police dogs to put down people and to like reduce the amount of like, you know, actions that were going on in the protest. Then you had similar stuff in London where they have their lockdown. So in the city of London, it's like complete lockdown. And they had a bunch of, in like, they can't do anything, but they still unified together in thousands to join the anti-lockdown protest. And then you had the same kind of stuff going on in Brussels and Belgium, where you had the police deploy water cannons and tear gas against anti-lockdown protesters in Brussels. So it's just like insane that you know, all of these places all around the world are protesting because of these COVID restrictions and the stuff that's going on in their lockdowns. Well, in America, we're like trying to talk about how like, you know, we've got all this stuff going on. It's like, no, places all around the world are like, you know, freaked out about this stuff. And they're pissed that they have to be sitting at home all the time because the government is way overly protective. So do you all have any thoughts on this stuff? Like, do you all think that what, what can I, we do I, to stop this? I think once you give the government power, it's very difficult to take it away. And a part of the fear of going into a lockdown in the first place was the idea that the citizen loses some sovereignty, loses some rights, and all in the name of protection. I mean, this is what happened after 9-11. It's like we had the Patriots Act. All in the name of your own good, we're going to have to put these severe measures on you, and they're going to be very reluctant to get rid of them. The United States might not be the worst of it. I know in Australia, even like a year and a half after COVID, they tried to lock people up by threat of police force and arresting you when now if you're looking at the covid data you can't even find how many deaths they have with the omicron variant for instance you literally cannot find the number because i imagine it's super low i had seen a new news article about the first person from this state dying from this disease but it's so it's so much less than it used to be um that it's kind of insane that the government's not willing to ease back on their restrictions given what's going on i understand covid's a big deal and a lot of people died from it and that's really scary but at this point in time, the actual death amount seems way, way lower than it used to be. And uh, so that's just, yeah. And I'll give props to the Biden government on this where you they, they reduced their um, restrictions on travel bans and stuff like that because they're, we're actually leading the charge. If anything, America is the most like modern country when it comes to them like reducing the amount of restrictions and regulations that they're promoting on their people. Like, yeah, we complain about it. Obviously, we're not like well, all of us are not big fans of masks and having to wear masks all the time. Like, and there's people that you know are more in intense about it than others. And there's the whole thing about it. But in the end of the day, like, even if I'm 
I'm not a big fan of how Biden is going like you know forward with this process. The fact is that it's still better than a lot of these European countries where they're just shutting down everything because the case count is going up, which the case count is going to go up because it is the winter time. Yeah. So like, but, you, but and if any government dying. is prone to being authoritarian or they were leading authoritarian, I know like from 2015 on we've seen like an authoritarian stint to a lot of countries. They're using this as an opportunity to grab power. So, like I said, you're not only going to see it in America, but there are certain countries that will abuse the fact that there was COVID, and they're going to use that to enforce harsher uh, laws, I, I suppose, on their citizens. Nick, do you have any thoughts on this? I have no thoughts except for your goddamn right, Pratik. We are way better than the European. <laughs> one. I, I do have one more comment. So that the Washington Post article didn't specifically cite COVID. But they just talked about violence against governments in general. And I think COVID has contributed to that a lot. But the fact that we've seen the the amount of people that are willing to say that violence against the government's okay went from like in the 90s, it was like 91% of people said violence against the government, absolutely not okay. And now that's only like 65%, 60%. And that's a dramatic shift. And COVID or not, I think that signals a larger trend. So what do you guys feel about that specifically? The fact that people just think it's okay to be more violent against the government. Does that signal a deteriorating democracy or deteriorating government? Or is it just like a brush in the water? It's not going to be that big of a deal in the long run. I think it depends, dude. Because the fact is that recently in the past like three, four years, we've seen more protests that have happened everywhere around the world, including the United States, about a variety of different topics. People are actually frustrated about how the government is doing things, whether you're left or right on any aisle of the spectrum anywhere around the world. I think it's just that we have a lot more access to information. And the access to information has made us more aware of everything going on. In the past, at least like you were talking about the 90s, in the 90s, people didn't have access to information. Now, whatever whatever is said, we can go and check it out and backtrack it and fact check whatever is, go, whatever is said. And we were like, yeah, I disagree or agree because of these statistics and blah, blah, blah. That stuff didn't agree. That stuff didn't exist before. And I think... That well, access well, it to existed. We didn't have as many sources of information. Yeah. Like you, like in the nineties, you could. It wasn't as yeah, readily exactly. available, and we certainly have much more information. But it's also much more difficult to filter yeah. the information, and maybe we're all in just echo chambers, and that's exacerbating our negative feelings towards the government. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it's like I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. I don't think it's it's that binary of a situation. Like obviously, I hate violence. But the fact is that if you're talking about these people that are probably the ones that are, are the ones saying violence against the government is justified, it's a whole like group of people that, that goes across both aisles and they're pissed off about a variety of different things and they feel like the government has contributed to the issues that they feel at hand. Like, even, like, police brutality, the whole Black Lives Matter protests and stuff. Like, yeah, there are, being, there are people on both sides that feel like, you know, was it justified, was it not justified to have all these violent actions? But in the end of the day, the people at the core that were, like, you know, the ones propagating the whole issue and they were arguing about the, like, you know, the injustices that they were feeling, well, they felt that there was violence was justified and the police is technically a representation of the government. So, like, it all depends. And perceived like, injustice is just as, I guess, viable as real injustice. So if you feel like there's been injustices against you, you're going to act, you're going to say, I don't respect that authority. I get that. Um, Nick, do you want to bring us to the last story of the day? I would cool. love to. So Schumer vows that the Senate rules are going to change um, come January 17th if the GOP blocks their voting rights package. 
And so this is all around the filibuster where a very hot topic, which is, hey, can you sit around and continue debating something or can people just shut you down if they have enough votes to split it? The way we've been doing it is if you've got 60 votes, so you have a majority of people who want a certain bill to pass, then, hey, you can't sit out there on the floor and just complain away all day. The thing will get passed. You've got 60 people. Um, what Schumer's trying to do is uh, bump that up a little bit. So now it's going to be what? I, I think it's he's changing it from instead of 60 yeses, it's now going to be 41 noes is the, the kind of idea on that. <laughs> which I don't know it's just it's just flipping it and adding one more so interesting thing but in any case a hot topic today for sure where you know people say oh it's all about the filibuster frankly as someone who wants the democrats to have more people in power so they can actually pass the agenda that they've been focused on for the past year um I don't think that's a big issue I really don't what I think is the bigger issue is not enough people have bought into the Democrats' promise of, hey, we are going to build back better. We've got these different social spending plans. We're going to have universal pre-K. We're going to um, you know, make some improvements in health care. We're going to expand, what is it, the Earned Income Tax Credit or yeah. the Child Credit? Child um, Tax Credit and Earned Income uh, Tax Credit, both the of them. Child Tax Credit. Perfect. Thank you, Pratik. Appreciate that. I know how much you hate both of them, so I uh, appreciate you coming in with <laughs> instantly knows what I'm talking about. Um, we got the telepathy. But in any case, really, I don't think this is a big deal. Again, this is just posturing. It's them coming in, you know, first day back from winter break. You come in and you say, hey, if GOP doesn't play the way we want them to, we're going to hit them hard. Really, Schumer? You don't even have a majority. What are you really going to do? So Guys, originally this stuff came out in 1975. So in 1975, they implemented the, the filibuster and it had to be a 60 people vote. And, you know, I mean, 60 people had to like be in, I think, um, a favor of it to allow the filibuster, something like that. And I think um, this got more propagated when Democrats controlled the Senate in 2013, where the GOP had a whole array of filibusters going on um, when Barack Obama's like Supreme Court justice picks. And the same stuff happened in 2017 when Republicans were uh, running the chamber, that whenever they had some Supreme Court issues and they had people filibustering on the Democratic side that were pissed off about who we were putting, who the Republicans were putting in into the Supreme Court. So it's one of those things, it's a cycle. They always complain about it. And this time is, I mean, Democrats are the ones that are in charge. So they're the ones that are trying to have more control over the filibuster. Um, and whenever the Democrats weren't in power, they were the ones criticizing it. And, you know, this is one of those things that keeps on going. And it's not like, it's nothing's ever changed. Since 1975, we had the same exact law that we do now. It hasn't changed throughout all the various administrations that have been there, blue or red. So I don't think that anything is going to change. I think Nick is right. I just think that, you know, it's one of those that people just have to talk about something. So they bring this up as a conversation topic and it's to scare the opposite party because they're like, whoa, what is going to happen with the filibuster? And then you're going to have a bunch of angry constituents called that don't know anything about anything. All their reps about the filibuster plan. It's just one of those things. So why, let me ask you guys, why did they want to change it to a no vote from a yes vote? Does this, does this mean that the no's have to show up? And then that's like the big difference? What's, what's I think the it's the numbers. It's something to do with the numbers. And yeah, there's certain current laws with the yeas and the nays. Well, if you have a no vote, the no vote, I think, counts as a, uh, what does it count? Uh, is it, I think 
The no vote is just not calculated in the parameter of the yay to nay ratio. So then that can distort it being in one one side or another, which could potentially make it easier for them to not have a filibuster. I'm not going to pretend to know what the difference <laughs> is. Really. I'm not too it sure. Very I don't think it's even going to matter. I think we just bury it and wait till the next election cycle comes around because the chances of anything happening on this slim to none. Very true. And that's all we have today. Yeah, well, hey, that's episode 58 of Politicana. Thank you, Politifama, for joining us today. We appreciate it. And we're going to catch you next week. Later.